This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Amen. Can we thank this worship team? They're wonderful. I love them all. You know, I taught them everything they know. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I can promise you one thing. I can't play anything. (laughs) So, no, I'm very thankful for them this morning. And it's great to be with you all uh, on this uh, Sunday after Christmas. I hope that you had a wonderful time with your families. I know that it's been mentioned before. um, But we had a fantastic time. It's Grayson's second Christmas. Woohoo! It's his second Christmas, but really, to be honest with you, it's his first Christmas, all right? Because he got to enjoy this Christmas, and we got to enjoy watching him open up his gifts and have a great time. And, uh, you know, we have like 7,500 Mickey toys now. It's all about Mickey in our house, but, you know, it's all good. Um, but he had, a, he had a great time. We had a great time of food and fellowship, and uh, I'm thankful for that. And the fact that I get to be up here this morning, um, I just want to thank each and every one of you. I could go through every row and tell you know, something about each and every person, but I just want to thank you all uh, be, on behalf of you and myself for all that you do um, in our ministry um, and the church's ministry. We couldn't do it without you. I told my youth uh, leaders just a couple weeks ago that, you know, I can't do this without you. I told him, uh, I can't do this without you. And Craig, can, he was there, he can attest to that. And I really can't. I cannot do this thing without you. And the same goes for all of you in here. Uh, we can't do this thing without you. We can't go to battle for Oklahoma City without you. And we're thankful uh, for, each, for each of you and your, your, your uh, prayers and your encouragement to our lives and the, you know, the financial backing. We can't thank you enough. And so that I'm up here today, I get to thank you for all that. And thanks to Pastor Chris for allowing me to be here. They say when the youth pastor gets up to preach, the lead pastor loses a couple hairs on the top of his head. But I think we'll be okay this morning, right? (laughs) No, just joking. He's probably watching. He's going to send me a text. No, Uh, but I'm so thankful for him and his family and what they mean to my family. They're more than just pastors to me. They're friends. Their friends and I pray blessings on them as they travel back home. I know they've been having a great time uh, with their with their family, and uh, I'm so happy that they were able to do that. But anyways, to get on with it, uh, this morning I, my sermon, and I feel I feel like God has left or let put this on my heart, um, and it's called the leftovers. My sermon today is called the leftovers, and being the holiday season. You know, that word gets thrown around a lot, right? Leftovers, okay? If you're lucky enough, you get some leftovers, right? On Thanksgiving, well, the day before Thanksgiving, Ju sent me out. She has this famous Oreo pie. If you want to know more about it, please come talk to me. It's amazing. But she sent me out to Crest, okay? And some of you probably seen my uh, Facebook post about Crest being crazy, and it was, uh, it was absolutely uh, just everybody was everywhere, right? But she sent me to Crest the day before, and, you know, she gave me the list to pick some stuff up. And, and uh, you know, I was going through Crest. I was picking up this and picking up that. Well, I made my way over to the bread aisle, right? I had to give me a loaf of bread. 
I went over to the cheese, right, and I grabbed me a, a few slices of cheese because I knew that I was going to have leftovers. I knew that ham and turkey sandwiches are life, right? They're life after, after Thanksgiving. So I went over there, and, you know, I was grabbing some stuff, and I was, uh, you know, I was getting out of there. But I knew that I was going to have leftovers. I knew that my dad was probably going to make a ton of stuff. I knew that Regina was going to make a ton of stuff so that we could take it home. And I knew that I was going to be eating leftovers for at least a week. Anybody been there before? You know, I was wondering when I, when I went and picked up this bread and I was thinking about leftovers and what I was going to have to eat, I was wondering, how does this parallel to the word of God? How does the word leftovers parallel to the word of God? And does it, does it parallel to the word of God? And, you know, I thought about it for a second. And I was like, you bet it does. You bet it does, because we see in Mark chapter 6, that's where our story starts today. In Mark chapter 6, God feeds what? He feeds the 5,000, right? It was one of several miracles Jesus performed in the gospel, and he feeds the 5,000. And then we go uh, two chapters after that, we see in Mark chapter 8 that he feeds the 4,000. We see that. We see that in the Bible. But what I find interesting through um, this whole entire story is the dialogue he has between him and his disciples. I thought it was interesting when I was reading these passages because, you know, the, the thing of it was is could God supply all of your needs? Could God supply all of our needs? You know, the disciples struggled with that. The disciples, they struggled with that simple fact. Can God supply all of our needs? You know, and some of us in our lives, if we think about it, myself included, we have that sometimes we have that hard, you know, that, that, that hard decision that, you know, that question, you know, we question, can God supply all of our needs? We have sometimes have a hard time trusting God and our needs and what he does for us, even if we've seen it time and time again in our lives. We struggle with that sometimes. And that's where we start our story today. But there was a, I found this, uh, I found this little uh, story about a family Um, It was in the Reader's Digest, but it says, There was once a family that was sitting down at the dinner table for their evening meal, but one of the girls wasn't happy because they were having leftovers. Has anybody been there before? I can tell you growing up, I've been there, right? We're having it again? Okay, my parents are here today. They can say, yeah, he, he probably did, right? But we're having leftovers, but she complained about it. She complained about it. The dad was not happy about that and spent a few moments explaining to her that she needed to be more thankful. She needed to be more thankful for what she had. In order to make sure she understood his point, he decided that she would say grace. She would say grace. And that her prayer should show her appreciation for what she had. For what she had. So she bowed her head and prayed, thank you for this food again. Thank you for this food again. A lot of us have been there before. But in our story that I mentioned earlier, we read about some leftovers. And if we go to Mark chapter 8, And starting in verse 8, it tells us that the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, ordinarily, when you think about leftovers, right, it's something that you eat for a second time. You prepare for a third time, right? You prepare for a fourth time, maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, right? You eat it and eat it and eat it. That's what leftovers are. But what Jesus did in our story this morning was a leftover, was a leftover. Jesus had done this food thing before. He'd done it before in uh, Mark chapter 6. But if you, if you go back a couple of chapters in Mark, you see Jesus doing this food thing to another crowd. And it starts uh, in verse 34. Tyler's going to put it up on the screen for us this morning. But it says, starting in verse 34, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. 
he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. (laughs) But he answered, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You know, they were trying to push them away and they were trying to send them off. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said to him that would take more than a year's wages, more than a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish, five and two fish. You know, one of the things that I find interesting about our story today is that the disciples hadn't learned much from the first time Jesus did this in our passage that we just had. You know, when we think about Mark chapter 8 and the, the other story, it's almost identical down to the conversation Jesus had with his disciples. It's almost identical. In Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 3, Jesus says, If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Because some of them have come from a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? They're asking again, God, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Just imagine all the crazy thoughts going through their head. God, we've seen you do this before. We've seen you do this before. You just did it to another crowd. But, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out, uh, can you really do it again? I mean, I know I just seen this, this miracle. I mean, these are people that walked with Jesus each and every day, right? They walked with him. They talked with him. They, they broke bread with him, right? They did everything with him. But they were asking, they were asking again, how are we going to feed these people? How are we going to feed this people? You know, they're probably thinking like, can we just like go over here and chill out and, you know, not worry? And, you know, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I don't, I just, I, I, I don't know. But what does Jesus ask them? How many loaves do you have? He asks him, how many loaves do you have? I know that's probably like a cinematic thing, right? There's probably uh, music playing in the background, probably some like Star Wars or something playing in the background. And Jesus is standing there and he says, how many loaves do you have? I can just imagine that, you know, it's a a jaw-dropping moment is what it is. But Jesus is serving up leftovers. Jesus is serving up leftovers. He's doing this food thing for a second time. Jesus is doing this food thing for a second time. You know, Jesus had to teach the disciples the same lesson again. They had to learn the same exact lesson over again. You know, it was kind of this spiritual leftover type thing. But here's the cool part. We read it in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Jesus just finished feeding the 4,000, and he hops right back in the boat with his disciples. And starting in verse Verse 14, it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf. They only had one loaf left over. Uh, They only had, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. We have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? They're talking about it again. They're going at it again. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? 
and ears but fell to hear. And don't you remember, <laughs> and don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And what did they say? They say 12. They had leftovers. They replied 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand, Jesus asked. What did they not have to understand? What did they not understand? I mean, he literally just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and had 12 basketfuls left over. They seen Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves and have seven baskets left over. Now here they sit with one loaf and they wonder, how is God going to provide for us? They sit here and wonder, how is God going to provide for us? How is this one loaf going to go around? How is there enough to go around? What did they not understand? What do they not understand this morning? They didn't understand that God could supply all their needs. That's what they didn't understand. They didn't understand that God could supply all of their needs. Because what does it say in Philippians 4.19? What does it say? My God will meet all. It doesn't say some. It doesn't say just a few. It says all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It tells us right there, my God will meet all your needs. But the disciples struggled with this idea. Even after they saw Jesus do it twice. They were still struggling with that idea of can God supply my needs? They still struggled with the idea. And to be honest, some of us struggle too. We struggle that with, with that as well. I do. You do. You know, we all struggle with it at some point in time. We have that struggle. You know, I believe that we hit hard times sometimes in life. I'm sure there's people that could give testimony today about hitting some hard times in their life. And, you know, life gets a little rough. And, you know, we can't grasp the fact that God can supply all of our needs. We're so used to doing things ourselves. You know, this is such a self-help society. I mean, it is. And that's a sermon for a different day. But this is a self-help society. You know, we have that attitude of self-help. We can just do it ourselves. We can just do it ourselves. You know, but, but, but the thing of it is, is that, you know, that doubt can start to creep in. That doubt can start to creep in and, you know, it can start to trouble us. And then we get really worried, like, man, I thought I could do this on my own. I thought I could just get through this thing. But, you know, now I'm starting to doubt myself. Now I'm starting to, uh, now I'm starting to doubt myself. But why does this happen, though? Why does this happen, though? Because we read in Philippians 4 and 19 that he can supply all of our needs, right? We read that in Philippians 4 and 19. But sometimes we just can't grasp the fact that God can meet all of our needs. He just can't, we, we just can't grasp it for some reason. But we are just so used to doing things ourselves. You know, there's this old movie called Shenandoah. James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, whatever you want to call him this morning played the self-reliant father of the family. He'd go to church, but essentially he didn't spend much time thinking about God. At the mealtime prayer, early in the movie, Stuart prayed something like this. He prayed something like this, Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. And we've cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be here eating it if, it, if we hadn't done it all of ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway. Lord, for this food we're about to eat, amen, right? But towards the end of the movie, if you've seen it, Stuart's heart changes a bit, and he ends up going to church and, you know, uh, 
getting right with God. But the reason I quoted that prayer is that it reflects this truth in our life. It reflects this truth in our life. We have to make money. We have to pay the bills. We have to make repairs on our house, right? We have to put gas in the car. We have to do this and do that. There's a whole list that you could go through in your life of the things that you have to do on a daily basis or a weekly, monthly, whatever. And God doesn't do that stuff for you, right? It's our responsibility. We do. It's the responsible thing to do. It's doing what must be done. But then sometimes in our lives, we've been there and done it, right? We find something that we can't do. We find something that's just so overwhelming that we just can't get over the fact that we can't do it, right? We just, we just find this thing that's out of our control. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we just, we just can't figure out, God, God, how do I get through this thing? How do I get through this thing? It's out of my control. And, you know, I, I know that I can do this and do that and do this and do that. But this right here is out of my control. But what do we do then? What do we do then? I'm going to be transparent today. I'm going to be transparent with you today. When things happen in my life, and when, you know, I, I think of some of the things that, that's uh, been tough for me, things that get hard and difficult in my life, and when something happens, you know what I do? I tend to get mad, right? I tend to get frustrated. I tend to go into panic mode. Ju's not in here, but she can attest to it, all right? I go into panic mode, and sorry, I should probably have more of more spiritual answer than that, but that's just the truth. That's just the truth, and it's my fault, and if it's my fault when things go wrong, I get really upset. I get really upset. When it was something in my control, and I did it, you know, the wrong way, or I just didn't do it right, I start to get, uh, I start to go into panic mode. I start to get really upset, but even as a minister, even as us ministers, as we preach, you know, we, we give these words, and we come up here, and, you know, we, we just preach to the congregation. We're preaching to ourselves, too, a lot of the time. We're preaching to ourselves a lot of the time. But the thing of it is, is, is the answer to my question, what do we do? For me, I've learned to not stay upset. I've learned to not stay upset. When I go into panic mode and when I find myself becoming frustrated and angry, I don't let that control me. I don't let that control me. You know, see, there's going to be times in, in your life still. Some of you have been through them before and you've experienced it. There's going to be times in my life where I get frustrated. But the thing of it is, is if I stay upset... If I stay upset at this situation, I'm never going to get through it. I'm never going to get through it. But I can't find myself going to sleep at, at night and, and uh, be a month down the road and still frustrated and angry at something. I can't let that control me. You can't let that control you. I've learned how to control these emotions with this one discipline. I tell God I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. It's too hard to fix. I don't have the resources in my life to get over this, right? I don't have the, the power to overcome this obstacle in my life. It's so difficult. You know, it's like, a, it's like the Great Wall of China in front of me. I can't jump over it, God. But I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. God, I can't do what you can do. God, I need you. I can't do what you can do. I know there's somebody that's been there before. You know, when I was preparing this sermon, I stumbled upon this other story. It was a, of a pastor's account of something a man in his congregation told him at church. And, it's, and it goes something like this. A man one day told of coming out of church on Sunday and encountered an old flower lady. At her feet were sausages and boutonnieres were on top of a spread open newspaper. The flower lady was smiling, her wrinkled old face uh, alive with some inner joy. I started down the stairs, then on impulse turned and picked out a flower. 
He stopped to pick up a flower. As I put it in my lapel, I said, you look happy this morning. You look happy this morning. Why not? Everything is good, she said. She was dressed so shabbily and seemed so very old that her reply startled me. You've been sitting here for many years now, haven't you? And always smiling, you wear your troubles well. You can't reach my age and not have troubles, only it's like Jesus and Good Friday. She paused for a moment. Yes, I prompted. Well, when Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, that was the worst day for the whole world. And when I get troubles, I remember that. And then I think of what happened only three days later, Easter, and the Lord arising, right? The Lord arising. So when I get, my, uh, get troubles, I've learned to wait three days. Somehow, everything gets all right again, right? She said she would wait three days and everything would get all right again. But that's the repeated scripture uh, theme in the scripture, right? Waiting on God. Waiting on God. Over and over again in the Bible, it talks about waiting on God. Over and over again, you see it in the Bible, waiting on God. Because in Psalm 27 and 14, it says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. How am I supposed to wait, you ask? How am I supposed to wait? Psalms 5 and 3 says down, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. I wait in expectation. An expectation, you say? In expectation, how could I possibly wait on God in expectation? You know why I can wait in expectation? Because I've seen this and I've seen that. I've seen God do this in my life. I've seen this and I've seen that. And I can wait on expectation because I know that God will supply all my needs. God will supply all my needs because I am confident. I am confident that he will act in my life and in my future. And in my future. So I wait in expectation knowing that God will act in my life. In my life. You might be sitting here saying, Lord, I've been praying 20 years. I've been praying 20 years for my son or daughter to come home. God, they're lost in this or they're lost in that. I've been waiting, God. I've been waiting. You might be praying for healing over the last five years. Lord, I've just been sitting here waiting, God. I'm believing in this healing, God, but it's starting to creep in on me. I'm starting to get doubt that you won't heal me from this. You might be thinking, you know, I've just lost my job. I've been praying six months, Lord. God, I've been praying six months for you uh, to to help me find this job, God. I I just don't know where else to look. I put in applications everywhere. Where, Where are those leftovers, God? Where are those leftovers? And God says, I got them right here. The Lord says, I've got them right here with me today. How do I know God will supply all of my needs? I simply look at the leftovers. I simply look at the things he's already done for me. I simply look at the things that he's already done in my life. I simply look at the leftovers God says, look at the leftovers. The 12 disciples are sitting in the boat looking at one loaf of bread, wondering how they're going to split it up between them, how they're going to split it up between them. And Jesus says, don't you remember? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And I could hear them shyly saying, 12, 12, like 12. But what happened when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up then? And what did they say? They said seven. They said seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand what I can do for you? Do you not understand? Look at the leftovers, Jesus says. We have to learn to look what God has done for you in the past, for the things that he's done. I'm hanging on to my requests, Lord. I'm hanging on to them, holding them tight because I've seen you time and time again work miracles in my life. 
work miracles in my life. Even if I get frustrated and angry about this situation, I know, I know that you can see, uh, see me through. I know that you can see me through. You know, I'm all but 28 years old. I know I'm not that, I'm not that old, all right, 28 years. But, you know, I've been blessed with the whole list of leftovers in my life. You know, I'd love to sit down with somebody someday and tell about all the things Jesus has done in my life and the reason why I have expectation. I would love to do that. And I'm sure there's some of you in here that have a lot, well, have a lot longer list than me, and I would love to hear it. You know, God has done this. God has done that in our lives. You know, but the thing of it is, is I'm hardly ever the hero in these stories. I'm hardly ever the hero because God is. They're his stories, amen. They're his stories of what he's done in our lives because they're stories of how God fulfilled all my needs, all your needs, all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But now what if you don't have personal leftovers? I'm I'm speaking to the others today that don't have the personal leftovers to chew on. What if you're new to the faith or haven't had much experience with God in your life? If you haven't had your own personal leftovers, if you haven't had your own personal leftovers, God says, I've got a few. I've got a few. That's what Romans 15.4 is talking about when we're told everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what he's talking about right there. Everything God has written down in the Bible was for you. Everything in the Bible that's written down by God is for me. It's, for, it's snack food, right? It's the snack food. It was all written for us. When you read about Joseph being sold into slavery and then unjustly thrown into prison, that's for you. When you read about David facing off a giant that he had no business being in that fight, that's for you. When we read about Esther facing possible death to save her people, that's about you. That was written for you. When you read about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, those stories are for you. Those stories, stories were written for you. They're all written down to see, so that we could see real problems with real people. Real problems with people. With real people. Real, real uh, problems being faced. But people have struggled with their faith. That's what it's for. Most of the time, those people struggled but ultimately they obeyed God. If you were to go through those stories and look through it and, and go down the list, all right, they were written down so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, you might find hope. You might find hope. If you don't have your leftovers to feed off of, feed off of these, these scriptures, these things that, you know, God has done for other people in scripture. But I pity the person who doesn't believe this. I pity the person who doesn't believe in these or accept these stories as real because, you know, the thing of it is, is God read it or wrote it down. God wrote it down for you. He wrote it down for myself. You know, they can go to bed hungry, but I'm definitely not going to go to bed hungry. I'm going to read these. I'm going to know them because all the things that God has done for other people, you know, because God can supply all of our needs. God can supply all of our needs. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Do I just sit back and wait on God? Do I just sit back and, and wait on God? Do I just sit back in my easy chair, put my feet up and say, okay, sarah, sarah. Whatever, whatever it'll be, will be, right? And just don't do anything? No. No, because the thing of it is, is that God wants you to partner in that miracle. God wants you to partner in that miracle today because at the end of the day, he just doesn't want you to sit back. He doesn't want you to just sit back in your chair and, and kick back and, and think, well, God, you're just going to do it, right? God wants you to partner in the miracle with him. 
He wants you to share in the wonder of what he's going to do for you in your life. He wants for you to share in the wonder, share in the wonder. He wants to give you a story all your own. He wants to give you a story all your own. You ask me today, where are my leftovers? God, where, where are all those things that I've, that I've seen you do in my life? Where are all those? You know, God says, I've shown you. I've shown you the way. I've shown you these things. And much like the disciples, he had to show three times. He had to show literally three times, I can supply all of your needs. I can supply all of your needs. You might be saying today that I've been praying for my grandma for a long time. You know, I may have been praying for healing and I haven't seen it yet. But I'm here to tell you to just look at the leftovers. Look at the miracles that God's done in your life. Look at the miracles that God has done in your life. Keep praying for that miracle and keep believing that God will meet all of your needs. That God will meet all of your needs. That's all I'm here to tell you today is that God can meet all of our needs. He's done it time and time again. He showed the disciples several times and they didn't even understand at the time. They didn't understand. You know, I believe that some of the best answered prayers are the ones to come in your life. You know, we're going into this new year of uh, 2020, and I'm so thankful that, you know, for the things that God has already placed and has already started that we're going to be uh, doing next year, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the things that he's done in the past, but, you know, those are things that we can look at and we can see, you know, and be thankful for that. But I'm expecting miracles this year. I'm expecting miracles this year. I'm expecting people to walk into this place not knowing God, but we just surround them with God's love. And God, God shows us, Lord, what to do. But I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful and I'm so anxious for all the things to come. I'm ready to see what happens in 2020. And if you're not, I hope you get there. I hope you get there. I hope great things. I'm praying blessings and, and wonders to happen in this next year. But we ask that simple question again. Can God supply all of my needs? Can God supply all of my needs? You bet he can. You bet he can. You bet he can do this and, and do that in your life. There are testimonies all around this room of people that have, have uh, seen that, that have, that have seen that love of God in their life, that have seen that miracle happen, that have seen those, those leftovers that God has done, that they can keep pushing on towards the prize at the end. There's so many testimonies in this room today, you know, but there's sadly some of us that gave up on those, that gave up on those leftovers, and, but we made a big mistake. But the thing of it is, is that God can supply all your needs. God can supply all your needs. God, where are my leftovers? They're here with me, son. Here with me, daughter. They are with me. They are with me. I've done so many things for you in your life. But look what I'm going to do now. Look what I'm going to do now. You guys can go ahead and stand up this morning with me. Seth, if I can have you come up here and play something softly. You know, the times in, in my life where, you know, I've struggled, and I know that I'm young, and, and uh, might be people saying, well, you haven't experienced much life. But I'm here to tell you today that the things that God has got me through have made me who I am today. Have made me who I am today. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm believing in miracles. I'm believing in miracles to happen. I mean, I'm so anxious for the next couple days because I'm ready to see what God has for me in my life. But most of all, for his kingdom. For his kingdom. And we're the kingdom. Amen.
we're the kingdom. And you ask, where are my leftovers? God says they are with me. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for what you've done in this service today, God. And I thank you for the people that are in this room, God. All the miracles that have been performed and all the, all the sights that have been seen, God. God, I ask that you would just continue to touch this congregation, God. That you would just continue to touch us, Lord. God, that we can look back on those leftovers and th- say, thank you, God. Thank you for the things that you've done. But most of all, God, that we can look to you and say, you can supply all our needs. You can supply all of our needs. God, this 2020 is coming up. It's a new year. It's a new day for us to look back, God. God, but that we would say, I'm going to see a victory. God, we would be able to say, look what the Lord has done in my life. But most of all, God, that we would be able to thank you for all that you've done all that you're going to do. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your love, God, for your